I'm Gab. He's Jules. Gray, horrid skies over West London. Uh, <laughs> metaphorically, but I'm sure it's sunny and bright in North London because Arsenal win the North London derby. They extend their lead at the top of the table. We'll be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about the other derby, the one in Manchester, and a controversial decision. We have a classical in the Super Cup. We have yeah. Atalanta scoring eight goals. Eight. How about that? We have Paris Saint-Germain. We need so much to talk about. But let's start. At the place that we used to call White Hart Lane when it was a different stadium. It was next door. Um, I thought this was, you know, you look at the table, you look at Arsenal's lead, and you say, okay, these are situations where they can drop points. doesn't matter that Tottenham have been on the slide and everything. It's a derby. The yeah. wheels come off. But once again, with a little help from Hugo Lloris, um, and even beyond Hugo Lloris, yeah. those first 45 minutes, I thought, were really impressive. You can you want to parse those two goals out? Fine. I mean, nil-nil at halftime. I would be sitting here really praising Arsenal's performance in that first half. Yeah, it was a demonstration of football. I think they, they taught them a lesson. I mean, and the lesson for Spurs is that if you let that, that this Arsenal team play, then they would just play you out of the park. And that's exactly what they did. There was too much freedom, too much time on the ball for a party, for Zinchenko. For the wide players, it was just too easy for Arsenal. They could have scored more. And even if, of course, the first goal, the mistake by Lloris, changes slightly the dynamic. But before that, Enketia has a chance. And after that, they go chance after chance. And and I was very surprised by the lack of intensity from Spurs in that first half again. Because apart from the fans who were really up for it, and I was at the game, it didn't feel that the Spurs players were were playing a North London derby. It, it felt like they were playing Aston Villa or some team like that. They were not yeah. in it. See, you can't have it both ways if you're Antonio Conte. You can't be Mr. Intensity and then not transmit that to yeah. your team. I, I thought that was missing. Um, and I thought, obviously, he made some tactical errors in the way he set up as well, um, which didn't help the team. I thought Spurs were better in the second half. They did create some chances. Yeah. Still thought Arsenal had the upper hand you know, throughout on, on, on the if, balance of opportunities. If Arsenal played like champions in the first half and defended like champions in the second half. That's what they did. And Ramsdale had a great game and, and Spurs could have, Spurs, I think, have the same high expect, expected goal than Arsenal. So they, they had their chance, but Arsenal played really like leaders. Do we fault Hugo Lloris for the second goal too? Nah, come on. He, don't see the, he doesn't see the ball leaving and I'm sorry, Romero can't turn his back. This is not how you defend. Come on. Other guard is where you are. I'm Romero and what? I can't, I don't come for the block. I just turn my back and hope for the best. This is not, this is not defending. I and guess I, it's a question of which world champion you want to blame. Romero I blame Sessegnon for the first goal I, as well, to be fair. So it's never. Oh yeah. So it's all on Sessegnon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we have to talk about what happened at the very end. I'm going to try to sum this up as fairly as possible because I think there was something that happened before which people sort of forget. Um, so it's the end of the game. Ramsdale, um, you see what we saw was Ramsdale going to collect his water bottle, uh, which he had left uh, on, on by the board yeah. behind his goal. And then there's a fan who, in a very weird, uncoordinated way, sort of jumps up on the hoarding and kicks him in the back, which leads to, uh, which, which sort of leads to a, to, to a melee. Obviously, everybody agrees you can't do that. Uh, the fan will never, you know, should never. I, I don't think we're yeah, having trouble identifying him too, because you can see his face. You yeah. can actually see. I, I was looking at. I, I didn't notice the first time, but when I saw the the afters again, you can see him after he does it. He realizes what he's done. Yeah, and he's, he's trying to go quickly back yeah. up the thing while everybody's going forward and yeah. shouting at Ramsdale. What I do wonder is what happened immediately before that. And by the way, I am not having... Ramsdale was phenomenal in the game. It is intense. I'm just putting this out 
as a viewpoint of what happens in the interaction with fans, right? Um, just before that, if you're watching the game, Ramsdale and Richarlison, they're, they're kind of joking with each other. Um, moments afterwards, there's the win. Ramsdale, when he said afterwards he'd been giving stick to the fans, yeah. and, and it was back and forth, yeah, yeah. and some of the fans were enjoying it, and, and whatever. So the goal was in front of the, the white wall, so the closest to the cup than, exactly. than if he had been on the other side. At one point, Ramsdale visibly gets annoyed. I don't know if somebody shouted something or something, and he turns to the fans, and he says something well, shows or whatever. The press, yeah. He sh- show, yeah. Yeah, shows the press, yeah. Shows the press, yeah. And then that's when Richarlison goes over and starts wagging. And, you know, again, until 30 seconds earlier, these two guys were yeah. kind of yucking it up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it also, obviously I'm not putting any kind of blame on this, but is it also a reminder that, unfortunately, with stadiums the way they are, without barriers, and I think it's good that there are no barriers, mm-hmm. you as a player have to remember that there are some crazies out there that will take any provocation. You still don't think that someone is going to jump over the advertising board to kick you in the back, you know? Like so, they give you stick, you give stick back, but you think it's safe anyway. So it's part yeah. of the games. It, it's it's a fine line, and I think, but it's a thin line. Yeah, you're I think right. what we might lose is that back and forth. These players are like, I'm not going to take a chance because 99 percent of those guys are going to be normal. We'll just give it back and forth, and then there's going to be the one percent. Yeah, yeah. Who's going to go and do something stupid and dangerous, yeah. which is which is what happened here. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into this game much more forensically and in a granular way uh, on the Gavin Jules podcast. All right, Jules, let's get into this a bit more. And by the way, before people are having a go at me, let me restate for the record, I am not blaming Ramsdale no, in no. any way. We Nobody deserves not. this. But I think if a fan in the midst of the emotion feels disrespected, most fans will react by calling Ramsdale a bad word or, or whatever. But there is that one guy, one idiot, potentially, yeah. who will go and do something dangerous. And, and, and I think... But to be fair, this is, this is Ramsdale's personality. He's been doing this all season and nothing had never happened. Before, before Sunday. Yeah, well, fortunately, so, it doesn't happen. You know, but that's what I mean. Like, you know, he, I, I don't think he will change and he should not change because of one idiot. Yeah. Because that's what he does. But and I, it, I and it did appear, like, like I said, like, like to be clear on this, you know, when he said afterwards he was giving and taking it and it was good-natured, it certainly appeared very good-natured. It certainly was good-natured with Richarlison yeah. until, uh, un, 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 until the, that kind of final moment. I want to talk about Arsenal a little bit because obviously we saw standout performances from, uh, from Partey, from, from Udegaard, from Zinchenko. I want to talk a little bit about the way Arteta set, sets up, because it certainly looks as if, you know, some people have it as a 4-3-3, some people have it as a 4-2-3-1, but the basic concept is when they're on the ball, Zinchenko comes inside and yeah. becomes an additional midfielder. And you almost have an overload on the left-hand side where you've got Zinchenko, Shaka, and, uh, and Martinelli who are attacking on one side, and then on the other side, you have Bukayo Saka because... Ben White doesn't attack in the same way. It's almost as if it becomes like a back three. And then it certainly, I'm not saying it leans heavily to the left because, again, I haven't seen like sort of their heat map zones of attack. But it does seem as if the idea is you've got more men on on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, you've got more space for Saka, which I think suits Saka and Martinelli's skill very well. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Although there's there's a few times where White overlaps, and and you know, 
plays with Saka on that right hand side when Zinchenko really rarely I mean he goes he's not an Zinchenko's not an overlapping fullback no, in the way White not. is yeah right? exactly and I think Full that's why the fullback. asymmetrical fullback is perfect one is inverted the other one is sometimes more of a centre back sometimes makes that run on the overlap and it's just I think the structure of that team is just absolutely perfect and I know they're a bit short and you know if someone important gets injured I think they would they would struggle to replace him like but, Gabriel Jesus yeah, but that's maybe the one <laughs> position where they have someone who can come in who is who's still very good in what the manager wants him to do in Nketiah. But f- for other positions, it might be a little bit different. But the structure and, and the um, what everybody knows what to do, where where the ball is and, and where your teammate is. So if Zinchenko comes inside, then Chaka knows exactly that he has to cover a bit more on, on, on the Zinchenko side of things. And all of that, I think that drill is, they're so well drilled in the positional play and the awareness of where everybody is on that pitch. It's just, it was wonderful to see that first half, really. And again, I think they were helped by the fact that Spurs didn't put them under pressure whatsoever, which would be different when United go to the Emirates on Sunday. But still, it was just, it was just like, a, yeah, it was, it was a perfect in terms of movement and organization and understanding of each other's position and where and what to do and where to be. It was, it was perfect. It was really a perfect first half. All right. A couple other points on Arsenal before we move on to Spurs, because I think there's a lot of questioning yeah. to be done of, of Conte's decisions here. One is that that party shot, which he just hits so hard against the post. I mean... Even in slow motion replay, it doesn't even look like slow motion. Rather, it's weird because the, the players are all in slow motion, but the ball yeah, just looks so like fast. However, Pecker's moment, you watch yep. it again, um, he doesn't hit the ball cleanly. He shins it. He shins it, yeah. Which is fine. I mean, again, we <laughs> well, said it's it. Not, it's not saying he didn't choose to shin it. No, no, no. But I think the ball maybe comes at him so quickly and the balance of his body is perfect, but he's still with his shin. <laughs> we, 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 you were aware, but when Darwin Nunez scored that goal, uh, Shinze as well in the in the FA Cup. I think he was when Rooney has called one of the greatest yeah, goals of all time with his shin too. So it's not we're not saying it's bad to shin the ball. It's not. However, you don't have the same. You have no idea where the ball's going. Yeah, go. some control of the ball. And he's but obviously not choosing to shin it. He's just no, trying no, yeah. to make contact exactly. somehow exactly. to send it towards. It's still the a ball. hell of a volley. <laughs> it was unbelievable, incredible. And he's had an amazing game. And to be fair, we were saying that when we preparing for the show, the only defeat that Arsenal had, which was the way United with the, the goal disallowed as well for Martinelli at nil-nil, party wasn't there in that game. He's unbeaten for Arsenal. He's been amazing for them this season. We, we mentioned Spurs' lack of intensity and obviously Richarlison is one of those guys who is Mr. Intensity. And even before when he was, when he was warming up, you saw a little bit of uh, a little bit of an edge between him and his uh, uh, Brazil national team yeah. uh, teammate, yeah, uh, Martinelli. So when you as Spurs, you warm up on the um, on the by the touchline, of course, on the left of the tunnel, if you want. So that's where Arsenal were attacking in the second half, and Martinelli is about to take a corner, so he's at the corner flag, and Richarlison is there, kind of warming up. So Martinelli sees him and puts his hand out to kind of high five him or shake his hand, and Richarlison looks at him and. Just doesn't move and go like, you know, leave me alone kind of thing. And so the, the, the Spurs fans loved it. Of course, Martinelli was a bit kind of baffled. What? We're friends. We played together for our country. Why are you not? But it's a derby. And Richarlison was like, no way I'm shaking your hands right now at this moment in the game. And he was pumped. Why, so, why not bring him on early? Why waiting so long if you're Conte? Yeah. And I know Spurs played better in the second half and were threatening at the time. 
But like Richarlison is so added value when you're chasing a game like that at home with the crowd and everything. You played him on for the last 10 minutes. It made no sense. So I think Conte would say, look, we still created chances in the second half. Ramsdale made some exceptional saves. We score a goal. And at 2-1, it's a derby. The whole ground comes alive. We come alive. We get back into it. I think that would be his explanation yeah, you can do if you that with that question, as well. right? You can do that with Richarlison as well. So I think the difficult, I think, I think the reason it didn't happen with, with, the reason he waited on Richarlison is that I don't think he wanted to lose his shape and move to, like, I'm, not, I'm giving you an explanation of what yeah, I think yeah, no, went through no, no, his no. mind. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not justifying it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when Spurs go 4-4-2 or 4-2-4 or whatever, as we saw, Spurs get messy. Spurs get really messy, and they're, and I think they become vul- more vulnerable. Although they were, they weren't good in the first half, but they become more vulnerable to the counter. And I think that was his concern. His control was let's get back into the game by scoring a goal with our initial formation, the three four two one. Now, hindsight, twenty twenty. Also, I would have thought that from what we've seen of Hongmin Son, or what we didn't see, or what we didn't yeah. see from Hongmin Son, the logical thing would have been, if you're going to make a change earlier and you don't want to lose your shape, put Richarlison for Son. 100%. On the other hand, Conte would say, oh, but if I put Richarlison for for Son, I've got a problem because then I only have three strikers. I don't have another striker to bring on. Sorry, Brian Heal. Let's want to talk about Brian Heal. Right? I don't have another option there. But what do you need another option? Because towards the end, if if it's 2-1, I want another attacking player on the pitch. I know, but you you keep Son, you play with 10 men. Because that's what I mean. Yeah. We all love Hungmin Son. It, last season was an amazing season for him. But this season is not This is not the same story. He's been dreadful for most of it, apart from the hat-trick in 30 minutes against Leicester three months ago. But apart from that, he's been anonymous at best. Yesterday, he was not in the game at all. They played with 10 men. And he missed a chance at the end when he shot. The shot was not on target. He got lucky to get a corner. And but there was there was just nothing in his game, and I just think you kept him on. Why you, you kept him on? Because you thought, oh, but we have to keep him on because he can make something happen. No, he can't. This season he cannot. Maybe last season, yeah. yeah. This season he can he cannot make something I mean, happen out of nothing. Look, I think these are the big calls that that managers have to make, and from the outside it always looks very obvious, right? Um, this guy's not producing. You've got you know. Brazil's starting center forward on the bench. Yeah. Bring him on in place of Son. On the other hand, I can also see his point, and I can also see how managers, especially people like Conte, they have this thing about, you know, great players. And when he looks at, if you, you, know, you would ask, like, who is Tottenham's uh, most important player or most decisive player not named Harry, you would say Hong Lin Son, right? But not this season. But, yeah. No, no, what I'm saying is... In general, in term, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Managers like Conte, and I think this has been a thing throughout his career, he has this idea of the champion, the superstar. And this has been a a recurring theme with him. He's always slow to accept when the superstar isn't playing like a superstar. Mm. You know, he always seems to have this idea that, oh, but he can, even if he's playing badly, he can change the game for you. Yeah. Um, And maybe it's partly superstition. I know the analytics crowd wouldn't like it. The analytics crowd would look at it and be like, well, Son is doing this. I mean, yeah, yesterday was... But I I think this is one situation where... I just don't understand. And to be fair, I think he he played and he, he even, he backed up my point by saying after the game, 
I was kind of happy that we didn't lose our head to concede more goals. So he played not to concede more goals in the second half. And of course, they were never going to play as bad in the first, as in the first half because they were terrible. So they were always going to be a bit better and be a bit more on the front foot, which they should have been from the beginning in a derby well, like I this. I want to ask about the, the, the front foot thing because effectively, I mean, on paper, it was a 3-4-2-1. In practice, it was a 5-4-1, right? Yeah, yeah. And not just that, but they seem to be happy to also concede the flanks, they're almost as if they're telling Arsenal, like, okay, go ahead, cross the ball, right? Um, and, you know, ultimately they contained Arsenal. Most of the chances came from well, came from shots from, you know, from, from outside the box, whether whether the Odegaard one or, or, or the Partey one, the two Odegaard shots, actually, I think. Yeah, but the two Nketiah chances, which are two big saves by Lloris, are, like, in the box, you know, like, through well, Martinelli over the head and then the, the Chaka through it, ball. It looked to me, though, that that, that that kind of passivity, for a guy who's built his career on teams that are aggressive and intense and reflect his personality, I don't know what's going on. Is there something deeper there? Maybe. I mean, to go back to your point, and I think it's a great point, so the Odegaard goal is a great goal. We said so much space for everybody, party to find uh, Saka to win the second ball, all of that. But before that, at 1-0... Odegaard has the same shot, the one that Lloris saves on yeah. his on the same. It's the same move. So if you're Conte on the bench or one of his assistants, or even even if you are a Spurs player, you think, "Hang on, okay, this was too easy. We can't we can't let that happen again because the next time, then Odegaard can score." And then what, ten minutes later, exactly the same move. That- How you cannot react when you're Conte sitting down on the bench and say, "Hey, boys." You know, say to Saar, say to Hoiberg, say well, to one of the three centre-backs, because let's, let's, not, let's remember, you have three centre-backs for Eddie and Ketia on his own. How can you not say to a Langley or Romero or Dyer, if Odegaard is in a position, one of you has to come and close him down? So I think the reason they didn't go and close it down is that they're playing too deep. I think that is on the midfielder. Um, they were 5v3. I, no, no, I, I, I absolutely get that. And I think here you get to another decision that he made. And I, you, know, you don't want to be critical of a young player, but it is a very unconte-like move based on what we know of his career and his trust of veterans and whatever to go and to play and, and to give his, 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 his starting debut to a 20-year-old guy like Popsar in a game like this, which is yeah, big, yeah, not I just as a North London derby. There's surprised. top four implications or whatever. Now, obviously, there was no Bentancourt, but he had Bissouma and Skip yeah. on the bench. You know, Skip, who they gave a new contract to earlier this year, by the way. So I'm assuming they're fit. I, I don't know. What they, I, didn't, I mean, Bisuma came on, so you think it, that... That surprised me. Now, yeah. is this the kind of... Was, do you think this was Conte going out on a limb? Or do you think this was saying, like, oh, let's try something is he, different? Or is trying to make a point, um, again, about... Recruitment and you know, and we're still in January. You can sign midfielders because look, I have to play this 20, 20 year old kid who's very talented but not ready for that kind. And then I think he I made think, two substitute appearances in the Premier League, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think Saar did badly at all. And I'm a big fan, obviously, he was in France before, but I think that also impacts on Hoiberg, who then by the was trying to chase and chase the shadow of Odegaard everywhere on the pitch because I think Odegaard, uh, Hoiberg also. I was quite conscious of, okay, why is, why is the young kids going to do here? Do I need to cover? Do I need to... Uh, well, and, and I think that also impacted on Hoiberg, who didn't have a... He's been really excellent this season, Hoiberg. And so that, that maybe also played on... Hoiberg's and specifically on the Odegaard goal, 
if you remember, it was a goal kick from. It was a goal kick. Oh, yeah, a clearance from Lloris. I mean, uh, that have been a goal kick. I, I think it was a goal kick. Actually, no, was it? Okay, I thought it was Lloris playing long. No, you're right. No, yeah, sorry. It was, it was Lloris choosing to, to, to yeah, sort of punt it long, long in the air. The Arsenal defense recover it. Saar tries to counter press, and the ball just goes past them. So you know, maybe that yeah, is yeah. one of those mental errors that maybe Bentoncourt wouldn't wouldn't make, or that you, you know you would expect Skip yeah. or, or or Basuma not to make. But I. How do we still feel about Spurs finishing top four if you're going to give me a percentage chance? Because they're five points back. Yeah. But you know what? If you look at the, I know it feels like it's later in the season than it is, but we still have more than half a season to go or half a season. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, true. But they have to play City twice again. I mean, I know City... I, know, I mean, you, we used to say that by saying that, <laughs> like, they're going to lose twice, which it's not the case right now with City. But just to, just to highlight the fixtures, they will have to go to Liverpool. They will obviously host Chelsea. They've played Arsenal twice now. So there will be tough games to come, home and away, for sure. I just don't... There's five, the gap is five points now. Right. And I just don't think... I don't think the top four right now, City, Newcastle, United... And Arsenal will drop many points. I really don't think so. So it's a, it's a hell of a task for Spurs to make that ground back over. I think it would be United or or Newcastle potentially. Newcastle maybe the one really that they have to catch. I don't know. It's, See, I would view it's the tough. fact that you're they will playing, have to go to Newcastle by the way as well because they lost at home against them. I would view the fact that you're playing City twice as just a great opportunity. Six <laughs> points clear. You get six points off oh, of City. Oh, I can't believe right? you said that. We have better goal difference because you didn't oh. concede those extra goals in the second half. Can't believe we can't because we just City fans. But I'll tell you what, the way City have been playing, we'll see. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, enough Arsenal. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gab. Manchester United had come from behind to win the derby against City mm-hmm. thanks to late goals from Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. Jules, we'll get to the controversy over the equalizer in a minute. Yeah. But let's talk United first. Nine wins in a row, one point off second place. What's going right? A lot of things, Gab, a lot of things. I mean, again, we talked about the structure of, from, from Arsenal, the way they play. Uh, I think United finally have a structure that the players understand, that the players agree to it. Uh, they've got a manager who has a clear direction of where he wants to go, who is a bit of a... Uh, likes the authority, let's put it that way, which I think was needed in that club and in that dressing room. So you're not happy, you don't play. You're not doing well, you don't play. Uh, and, and it's working because everybody is on board, really. And they fight for each other, they play for each other. You can see that togetherness, you can see the team spirit, which we didn't really see before. And then when the manager tactically has the right ideas, like playing Christian Eriksen a bit higher up on the pitch to limit the influence that Rodri can have on the game. Well, you can do Fred that if you play Casemiro and Fred together. Yeah, like you, but like you it said. worked. And we saw Fred doing a very good job on Kevin De Bruyne for, for most of the game. Okay, not on the goal, but for most of the game. So the tactical plan was perfect. Uh, of course, they got a bit lucky with the first goal that we will mention in the next quick hit. But overall, I thought it was just they planned it well, they executed it well, and you don't win nine games in a row by being not always that convincing, but quite solid. 
look at Luke Shaw, a center back. You know, this is Ten Hag's, this is Ten Hag's kind of philosophy and work. And to see Luke Shaw doing so well in a position that is not his and had never been his before, I think the manager deserves a lot of credit. For me, he's the main reason, not the only reason, but the main reason why they're doing so well. And then Rashford is playing great. Bruno right. is playing great. Casemiro is playing great. All of that. Varane is playing great. So that helps. But yeah, well done to Ten Hag, really. Okay, Gabby. Now, obviously, the decision which sparked so much controversy all around the world this weekend. Should Marcus Rashford's goal have stood? So, short answer, no, it should not no. have stood. And before people come out and talk about the loss of the game, but he didn't touch the ball and blah, blah, blah. So... These explainers, these riders, when, when, when they add the loss of the game, right? Um, when they, you know, they, they moved it from interfering with play with interfering for an opponent. It comes down to the interpretation, right? And here, I, I've got the, the Law 11, verse 2. One of the situations which would uh, suggest that a player offside would get a goal disallowed is if he makes an obvious action which clearly impacts on the ability of an opponent to play the ball. Now... Rashard runs along with the ball. Yeah. His body, it looks as if he's squaring up to pass or shoot. Yeah. For me, very simply, right, there are three, at least three city players that are very affected by this. Obviously, yeah. one is, is Akanji, but maybe wouldn't have caught him, whatever, right? Another one is Walker and the way he angles his run. He's running towards Rashford. He's not running to cut out Bruno Fernandes who's coming through. Yeah. And the third one, most of all, is the goalkeeper, yeah, Ederson. Really. Because... If Rashford's not running with the ball, or if Edison Edison does not know that Rashford is offside, yeah. right? He shouldn't expect be expected to know. The so he has to pretend he has to play the whistle, right? If he th- if he says if he, if he believes that that Rashford's onside, he's not going to come out and clear the ball away. He's not even looking at Bruno. He's looking. This is Rashford is here. You're Bruno. I'm Edison. I'm looking here. I'm never looking at where you are, but and you're gonna hit the ball. He's he's frozen where he is. Yeah, and advanced because Rashford is exactly. getting closer to the box. Now, if Rashford's not there, which and technically because he's offside, he's not there. No, yeah, he just runs out and he clears the ball. Yeah. We've seen him do it a million times. So for me, it's pretty obvious. For me, it comes down to, I think the laws of the game are are fine. But referees should be said, like, look out for these situations because sometimes even if you don't touch the ball, you could easily be interfering with an opponent. I completely agree with you. I think the whole... I mean, even Ten Hag, after the game, said, like, if, I, if I was in that position, I would, I would find <laughs> exactly. it difficult. So even he knew that the goal should not stop. <laughs> Back to City. They were on their way to all three points with 15 minutes to go. But Jules, was this a good performance overall? And are they still in the title race? They are, of course, in the title race, even eight points behind Arsenal because they're City and because it's Pep and they've got... KDB and Haaland and everything you want, but it was not a good performance. And there have been a few not good performances lately, really, uh, if you think about it. And, and yeah, they scored the goal that really scored. And after that, I mean, I don't know how, what you thought, but I thought, okay, this is it. Now, I, I, can't, I don't think United have been good and they had chances in the first half at nil nil, but I didn't see City considering two goals the way they did. And, and again, you know, if that goal doesn't stand, I don't know what the final score is, but. Uh, but it was not a good performance. Haaland was not in the game. I don't think because of himself, because I think he made some good runs that no one passed him the ball. I don't know what's happening with the Bruyne. I don't know what's happening with Foden. As Foden just lost, as yeah. Foden and Guardiola, even if Foden started, they've, they've kind of lost their relationship. I thought Gundogan should have started every single day of the week. You can't go to Old Trafford against a team so much in form 
and play Bernardo De Bruyne ahead of, of ahead of Rodri, like you know, with Rodri Bird just right. behind them. For me, he liked he liked balance in that team. He liked a bit of kind of defensive, more minded player. And I think Pep made a mistake. I, I would agree with that. A late Alexander Isak goals gives Newcastle a one 0 win over Fulham, and they they too are just one point behind City. But Gab, what did you make of the Mitrovic penalty? That was disallowed. It's correctly disallowed because yeah. he goes and, you know, he stumbles and he hits it twice. I don't think there's an argument there. However, what I do have a serious issue with is the fact that this penalty was given in the first place. Um, there was a much more obvious one. You don't think that one was a pen? I don't think that was a pen at, okay. at, at all. The, the Bobby Cordova, Reed, and um, Kieran Trippier. Bobby Cordova, Reed steps on Kieran Trippier's foot. Um, to me, that's never a penalty. What's concerning here is that the referee didn't give it as a penalty. Yeah. Mike Dean steps in and tells him to go look at the to go look at the monitor. He goes to look at the monitor, and and this is because Mike Dean is saying you've made a big mistake. This should yeah, be a penalty. Yeah. I don't know if Mike Dean didn't see. And like maybe just because you were a famous referee, I want to say great referee, but you're a famous referee who was around for a long time, mm-hmm. means that you're a good VAR. It's a different skill set. Yeah, very much so. Um, and this very is much. one obvious situation. They should have given the one earlier. Yeah, no did they give there. the second one because they haven't given the first one, though? Oh, come on, man. Like, I, if, they, if, they, if they do that, then Howard Webb should come out and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> Howard, we love you. You inherited Mike Dean and this nonsense. Yeah. And you come out and you say, Mike, if this is how you think, then go get another job. Get out. See you somewhere else, right? You know, you never like VAR. You're you're not a specialist VAR. He shouldn't be VAR. Why is he VAR? Why he needs money? I, like, I, I don't understand. Just keep him on the boat. I'm sure he made a good enough pension I as know. a referee. I thought he'd retired. It's a different skill set. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, more quick hits coming your way. Barcelona destroy Real Madrid in the Spanish Super Cup. Uh, classical, 3-0. Jules, this is a statement win, yes? Yeah, very much so, Gab. They were, they were wonderful, I have to say. Uh, so impressive in the way Xavi set up with the, the, the four really central, mid, central midfielders, we can call them like that. Gavi, Pedri, Frankie and, and Busquets and Dembele and, and Lewandowski up front. That worked so well. They knew exactly when to slow the game down, when to accelerate. They, they really hurt this Madrid side. That was, I think, really missing Chouameni and, and Alaba to start with. I think Kamavinga was too lightweight, made mistakes in that first half. And overall, I think and Carlo says physically they, it's difficult for them, which you could see clearly. But they had no shot, nothing until the 70th minute. They were lucky to score even a goal at the end and it could have been worse. So, Yeah, really, I said a 3-0. I, I meant uh, yeah, a 3-1, of course. Know, but yeah, it was and, just... Those defensive mistakes at the at the back. Let, let's be clear. Yeah, Rudiger as well, yeah. Rudiger, I thought Dani Carvajal as well for, for yeah. the second goal. I mean, it's not the reason. It's not like this was a close game and then they made defensive mistakes. Even without those mistakes, even if it, if they'd been one one nil, it still would have been a completely lopsided yeah. game. Yeah, you're right. And I think that has it's to be one-sided. that has to be a concern. And yeah, I don't yeah. want to go back to the transfer windows open, but 
transfer window is open. No, you're right. Liverpool fall to Brighton 3-0 and Jurgen Klopp says it's the worst performance he can remember in his career. Is it right, Gab? Yeah, that's the thing. He said in his career yeah. now. Oh, wow, okay, that's a lot. I, I do not remember every performance of Jurgen Klopp when he was at Mainz. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure they must have had some one-sided games. Uh, this is terrible. And like, sometimes more than one thing, you can give all credit to Brighton and our boy did Zadby. And, was, and they were amazing. They were really, really good. Mm-hmm. But this was awful. And for me, obviously, Liverpool having a lot of players missing, fine, fair enough. But... For me, that midfield, that is the first choice midfield if it was a Champions League final, right? Yeah, Fabinho, so. Thiago, and uh, Henderson. Jordan Henderson. Yeah. To see them play so limply, so lamely, uh, that's got to be an issue. I know people, people will focus elsewhere, and Joe, uh, was it Joe Gomez, and Trent yeah. defensively, and Oxley Chamberlain, whatever, and Cody Gakbo, you know, I think it was his first start in the league. You're fine. Oh, whatever you want. But it's that midfield that needs to lead you in these situations. And it's that midfield playing a certain way, which yeah. makes Klopp's brand of football Exactly. Possible. The midfield has always been the key for him. So Paris Saint-Germain fall against the mighty youngsters of Rennes. 1-0 with what Rennes are pushing for the Champions League. Yeah. Jules, when I looked up at the end of the game, I saw Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar. I saw that they were all on the pitch. I saw Ashraf Hakimi on the pitch. Uh, Hakimi and Mbappe coming on. Um they did not have a midweek game to save themselves for. Did they play badly because they were all looking ahead to that Coupe de France game next week against Caisse <laughs> de Zepolette or whatever the hell it is? Yeah, sixth division team. I, I don't know, Gab. It was one shot on target. It was pathetic. The, the XG is 0.9 or 0.8. It's, it was, they were terrible. It really, really bad. Nothing in the game, no verticality, no no collective, no patterns of play, nothing. I think they, since the turn of the year, so they, you know, they, they lost against Lens. They struggled to beat teams like Strasbourg and Angers, who are bottom and second from bottom. And then they got beaten by a team that is, was much better than them on the night. That had a proper plan, played with a back five, with a really good plan, clear direction of what to do with the ball without the ball, which was not the case of PSG, which was just like. With no spirit, not just nothing, and I'm like I'm starting to lose my chisel around Galtier <laughs> because I don't see the job that the work that he's doing. I don't see anything from him in that team, and I'm starting to get really, really annoyed now. This was way back on Friday. We can just ignore it. We can't ignore it. Sorry, but Napoli destroy Juventus five one just in time for Juve's big shareholder meeting this Wednesday. Gab. This is the one where they're going to announce the new board, the new heads of the club, and Daniele yeah. stepping aside and whatever. Uh, they had won a whole bunch of games in a row. I'm just going to say this, you fans. All those those eight games you won in a row, I think you really only played well against Lazio. A lot of those other games were against smaller teams. Yeah. Um, they're okay against the Inter, I guess. It's not the results. It's the performances. It's how you play. Because otherwise, chickens come home to roost. They were blown away. Hats off to Napoli. Mm. Kai Havertz uh, pushes Chelsea past Crystal Palace to break a run of three straight defeats. Jules, how they look? I thought at the time they looked... Uh, better than what we saw. I mean, it's not hard to do, to be fair. Uh, but again, the five days for one nil win and they missed chances. Havertz could have had a hat-trick, probably a hat-trick of headers as well, easily. But they had no margin though because in the end, Kepa had to make some big yeah. saves too and they could easily have dropped two points that they didn't deserve. They deserved to win the game. But, but at least that sort of brings a bit of, you know, a bit of calm in it and, and a relief as well, for sure. And Gav, there was an emotional memorial for your friend Gianluca Vialli, of course, before kickoff. And as he was Chelsea's first game, uh, of course, since he passed away, and you and Luca were very close, as I said. Yeah, obviously, I've known Luca for a very long time, um, and I purposely haven't really spoken out or written anything mm. about it um, until now. 
Uh, and I'm just going to come out and say that, you know, for me, he was a better person than he was a footballer. And obviously that's saying a lot because he was a phenomenal footballer. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see the warmth. And it's a reminder of Chelsea in a different era. Chelsea, who under Luca, you know, won five trophies in two and a half years. And well before Roman, this is when Roman Abramovich was still messing around in Siberia mm-hmm. uh, with, with Luke Oil and Sibneft and stuff like that. So um, I'm glad he's so fondly remembered. We thought Mihailo Mudrik was going to Arsenal, but Chelsea trumped them at the finish line by offering Shakhtar 70 million plus 30 million in bonuses, and he was unveiled Sunday. Jules, what do you think? And what's the deal with a seven and a half year contract? Yeah, I mean, an incredible, I mean, twist, of course, because because Arsenal had been negotiated for a while. Just Chelsea arrived, and I was told the deal was done in five hours. You don't do a deal like this in five hours. It's, it's never been seen before. Not of this caliber. Not with that money involved. But Chelsea just gave basically everything Shakhtar wanted and the player wanted. The double, the the wages, the commission, everything you want. So good luck to him. It's a lot of money for someone who is still so young at that kind of level, you know, who hasn't played much games in Champions League, for example, or with Ukraine or even in, in the Ukrainian league. And we see in the length of the contract, the amortization helps you. Yeah, of course. Of course. But it's, it's still, still a, a big long... gamble. Ties you in. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's still commit... going to ask for a raise if he does yeah, well. You commit a lot of money. Milan held that Lecce 2-2 after being 2-0 down in the first half and it could have been worse. Uh, and they could have considered third as well. Gab, you're right. They're still second, but it's not a good run at all. No, not a good run. They, they look tired. They look spent. One of the few people who's actually working well is Giroud and Benacer, yeah. despite signing a new contract. Yeah. Uh, they need to figure this out uh, post-haste. Atletico Madrid are held at Almeria 1-1. Jules, they kind of threw this one away, didn't they? I mean, they're still fourth, but there's another five teams within two points behind them. Yeah, not the moment to drop points, really. Uh, And not that way, either. I know he was away from home, but they took the lead and they created enough chances to, to be clear. Completely. They didn't and play that bad. No, I don't think they did. I mean, they, we, we, we knew they need a, a striker that we score, that we convert the chances, I think. Okay. Morata thanks you for the show of confidence. Yeah, sorry, Alvaro, <laughs> but you know what I think of you anyway. And, and, but this has happened so many times already this season that it's not a surprise anymore because I saw Marcos Llorente in his post-match interview saying like, yeah, it's, it's really difficult when you go through a game like this and you drop two points. I know, but you're the only ones to blame. Yours on the pitch and, and El Cholo, I think. So it's, it's a difficult season for them, even if they're still, of course, of course, capable of finishing top four. But it's going to be a battle through, because there's a lot of teams around them. Gab, I know you're a big Memphis fan, of course, and Barca are ready to move him on. Talk continue with Atletico Madrid, talking about a striker there. And there's also an inter-option. Okay, so the inter-option is reported um, in Italy is a swap to pie for El Tuco, Joaquin Correa from, yeah. from Inter. Um, I do not see why Barcelona would do this. I say this with the greatest respect to Another El Tuco Correa. Yeah. Um, yeah, even even you can you can you can play him as a second striker, whatever. Yeah. I but, but it just makes zero sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the Atletico Madrid one more seriously. What I think is interesting is, you know, I, I think Depay is the kind of guy who can make, if he's fit, he makes any team instantly better because you don't have to worry about positions, whatever, he's going to create out of nothing. Um, and I think he showed that he can be disciplined and respectful and yeah. fit into a team for whatever reason, Xavi made different decisions. I would find it extraordinary if he goes to Atletico Madrid. I mean, given <laughs> Captain Luis Suarez know, exactly. and Griezmann like, six sure months ago, I know. if I'm Atletico Madrid, they say, all right, so either we take him in the free in the summer or... 
You just give them to us now, right? Uh, uh, Surely they won't do that. I don't know how it got to this situation where they're so hell-bent on moving him on. Um, you're stuck with him. And I, I, I get the whole argument with Barcelona's finances. Yeah. But, I mean, we're talking ultimately, you know, damage is done. It's six months of wages. You never transfer here for him. Um, I think they want to get a fee for him because, obviously, they signed him for nothing. And yeah. so, you know, that looks good on the books. But it's not a great situation. For Atleti, though... The thinking is obviously with Matteo Scunia um, moving Angel on, Felix. Angel Felix. Mm. They only have three strikers left, right? Angel Correa, uh, Griezmann, and Morata. Um, but you know, it's not written in stone that you need to have no. four strikers. Maybe there's a kid. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe you play Lemar further up the pitch, or or or, or Depaul further up the pitch, or or whatever. You, yeah, you know, yeah. there, are, there are solutions that you can come up with, um, and certainly I would expect. Simeone to come up with other solutions. So um, I think if you're Atleti, just wait. Wait till January 31st, see if somebody else comes out there. If it's on your terms, go for it. If yeah. not, you know, Memphis can wait. Bayern return to the pitch next Friday against uh, Leipzig. Yeah, and as it stands, Sven Ulreich will be in goal. Jules, they keep talking to Jan Zommer. There was a crazy story involving them and, and getting Gregor Kobel from Borussia Dortmund, yeah. which I think... I mean, let's face it. I know we joke about the Bundesliga. PR-wise, oh, the Bundesliga the commissioner, you would block this move. This is just sure. humiliating. Yeah, like, no, I know. Um, Alexander Nubel, though, looks like he's not moving. He continues to he's on loan in Monaco. Yeah. He starts every game. Yeah. Well, what's these, what are they waiting for? No, I don't understand. I, maybe they think that Ulrich can can see this no, out in the second half in, for the whole second half of the season. Okay, and no, but now we're not even sure Noya can come back for the start of next season. So, but, but sorry. And Noyo is 36, so at some point you need, you need a replacement where you thought you had with Nubel, but he doesn't want to come back because he doesn't want to be just playing while Noyo is not there. He wants guarantees, which you can understand for a young goalkeeper like him. No, I can't understand it. Come back, play for Bayern until the summer, and if Noyo yeah, comes but Monaco, back... Monaco don't want to let him go either. No, no, that's fine. I understand Monaco's yeah. position, but for Nubel to say, no, I don't want to come back because I don't want to be Noyo's backup, you're not. You're going to be competing with Sven Ulreich for a job. You'll beat Sven Ulreich. The other thing, too, with why they need another, another goalkeeper is the dude who backs up Sven Ulreich, I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, it's some guy I'd never... Yeah. I mean, you're, you're short. You know, you're legitimately yeah, yeah, completely. short I mean, here. I, don't know. I mean, I guess Jan Sommer might be to convince Gladbach to sell. I don't, you know, I think Gladbach wants a fee that Bayern don't want to pay. I think Sommer is ready to go to to to, to Munich as well. I think it would be hard. But it feels to like you're down. arguing over small amounts of money when you do, Leipzig is a head-to-head game. Yeah, it's you know, massive. Uh, the, the, the stakes to me are, are much higher. No, I, I, I find this odd. Um, so, but, I mean, Zika is best, you know. Yeah. yeah. Lautaro Martinez fires Inter past Verona and they stay third in Serie A. Gab, your thought on that game? I think Inter were looking ahead to obviously the Super, Super Cup in, yeah. in Riyadh. Uh, Riyadh, you're home for Super Cups. I yeah. Uh, but Lautaro, I think, is in great form. Shalanoglu also in good form in, in the middle of the park um, for Inter. That's kind of all they needed. They mixed, they mixed and matched, or Gagliardini started and whatnot, but I like him out at the end. Um, it's fine. You, you had to get the three points in. I would feel more comfortable from Inter's perspective if they could score more than one goal and not be in a situation where at the end you're mm-hmm. like, oh, one mistake and we've dropped points again. But you know what? They're right up there. They're one point off second place. That's fine. But 
How about some love for Real Sociedad? Oh, yes. Seven wins in a row for a boy, Manol, including Saturday's yes. 3-1 victory over Athletic Bilbao in the Bass Derby with a goal from the only living Sorloth in captivity and his little friend, Kubo. I know. I mean, Kubo, great goal again. Uh, Sorloth as well, great feat, I thought. And he's got what a performance from, from La Real because there was, I think, Athletic, Athletic, Club were never really in the game, let's be honest here. Rastasola were too good, too, too good. Brilliant in midfield with David Silva. Uh, just everything they have. What Emmanuel has been building there, or has built there, uh, has, been, has been great. They're third in the table, looking really, really good for a Champions League place. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those where you watch them play. This was great publicity as well for Basque football, because a lot, I mean, we know that all of Atletico club players are from there, of course, but even La Real had plenty of players yeah. from there. I think it was maybe 18 of the 22 starters or something. I counted them on Friday or on Saturday. And it was just, it was just brilliant. The atmosphere and, was great. Everything was great. And imagine if Oyarzabal had been fit from the start of the season. Yeah, just yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah you're Because right. they're not yeah, that far right. behind yeah, Real Madrid no, and Barcelona. Right. That's very true. Ugly scenes at Everton now, Gabby, with Anthony Gordon abused by fans on his way out of Goodison following the home defeat to Southampton and widespread protest against the board who were advised to stay home and stayed home by the way on Saturday this is this is really ugly yeah and reports too that Denise uh, Baxter or Denise Barrett Baxendale who's the chief executive that that somebody put her in a in in a headlock Um, now like maybe I'm old school on this, but um, first of all, that is physical assault. Yeah, and completely. That charges. Yeah, that, that's that's open and shut. If on top of that, and maybe I'm being sexist here, if it was a dude who who did that, then I mean, yeah. I, I I I foresee far worse things here. But uh, I don't want all this business with a sit-in and the protests and people getting angry to overshadow the fact that these people have very legitimate gripes about the mm. way their club has been run. They've called Bill Kenwright out. He's been there for 18 years. He's been responsible for this. Um, we can't shy away from that. And we yeah, can't yeah. shy away from that from one other thing, too. There, there, there was a, there's a report um, in The Guardian saying that Alisher Uzmanov, who, you know, well, he's under, he's under, he's under uh, Russia sanctions. Yeah. Um, that you know, he was present when different managers interviewed for the club. I think they cited five different managers. You can't have this situation. You already have a screwy situation where the club is owned by Farhad Mashiri, right? Usmanov has minority shares or not? He doesn't have any shares I don't believe anymore. he has any shares. Okay. And what happened was Mashiri was Usmanov's accountant. Um, they yeah, both they're, had they're shares. Partners, yeah, yeah they, the thinking is Moshiri is a straw man for Usmanov. Now, because Usmanov can't own the club, then Moshiri owns a club. Uh, and look, Moshiri's always denied that. He said it's his money. We'll see. But what we do know is Usmanov, despite not owning the club, sponsors the club. Yep. Obviously, that sponsor has been put on hold because of sanctions. But he's some, present, yeah. But you know what? Hey, Premier League, let's have some clarity here. Let's have some actual rules. This is Moshiri's money. It's not hard to get a forensic accountant to come out and say, this is what happens. Yeah. Now, if it's Moshiri's money because he got all the money because he sold like a ballpoint pen to Uzmanov for $500 million, let's find out. Tell us. And then yeah. we can make up our own minds on this. But you have to have rules. You have to have clarity. You can't have this continuous confusion. This is a club that in many ways has done things the right way. They've Obviously, the, the, the stadium development yep. continues. The they've pushed the kids. Obviously, they've made mistakes with maybe with directors of football and with managers. But 
there's a fan base which I think has been really badly let down. Yeah. Not just by the people who run the club, and of late, obviously it's been it's been Kenwright and and and, and Moshiri and, and others, but also I think by the Premier League, you have to have oversight over the clubs about how they do business and who they do business with. Yeah, I agree. It's not just Mudrik, Jules. No. Chelsea continue Ooh. to be linked with strikers Marcus Turam and uh, Nani Madueke, who, for those who don't know, plays for PSV Eindhoven, but is actually English. Yeah. Um, I believe former Spurs, yeah. former Palace even. Uh, very, very young, so I think 19 years old. And perhaps most interestingly, defensive midfielder Moises Caicedo. Who would imagine that, a manager yeah. rating his old club? I mean, why would you stop spending the money? It's already 500 million, pretty much, since the last transfer window in six months, which is as much as Liverpool in the last 10 years. They've outspent the whole 19 other clubs in the Premier League put together. This, this month is crazy, and there's still two weeks to go. I mean, for me, the priority, and we said, Joe Felix and to some extent, Mudrick makes sense if you, if you have a, a goal scorer with them now, because there's none right now. I don't believe in Kai Havers. And even he said it after the game, he said, I don't score 25 goals this season. Everybody knows that. He said, he said, I play as a nine. He didn't say I am a nine. Yeah. He says, I play as yeah, a nine. Exactly. Uh, but for me, the priority, now that you got Mudrick and, and Joe Felix and you may be okay for the attacking positions, maybe, is in midfield. The midfield needs, needs, redone completely refurbishment whatever you want if you can get Caicedo I don't know what the, the price would be crazy for sure but if you can get him go for him I mean watching the Brighton performance against Liverpool him and McAllister were just outstanding in midfield that partnership and Caicedo I think would improve Chelsea massively I think he would improve a lot of teams massively I would I don't think Brighton will let him go in January but you you might be able to do a deal and leave him there on loan. I, I mean, I don't know what can happen, but for me now, the priority has to be in midfield. Even more so than this Turam. I, I would the, love to see Marcus there. The, the, the one thing I will say is... Uh, Marcus right. would be cheap. If something... Oh, because he's six months away yeah, from, yeah. from free so, agency. But if something happens to Kai Havertz up front or if he gets suspended or whatever, then you either have this Alba Young freak show situation. Yeah, that's not possible. Uh, which is obviously not viable. No. Or what? Oh, yeah. Plays or up you front. Play, yeah, Ra- you, Raheem Sterling plays up front when he's back. Felix, no, no, I know. Joe Felix no, is your center forward? No, I know, I know. Oh, I know. I, okay, I know so let me rephrase. Priority is in midfield. No, no, priority is as a striker too. I get you that. What I'm saying is there's multiple priorities. And this is how dysfunctional it is that you can spend all this money. You bring in these experts. All right, the experts have only just come in. but I, No, true. But for example, Matweke for £40 million, I would not understand. Uh, no, when, it makes when, no sense. when you need the striker and you need the midfielder far more than another wide player, as talented as he is and as exciting and as young as he is, I would not get that unless you get Madweke and a midfielder and a striker. And, and I guess you know okay, what? There on, will be people. Point. There will be people who are telling Todd Bowley, uh, you know, maybe on his. Um, it's weird because there was some suggestion that he he did a Twitter Spaces. Yeah, he was that listening was, in. Yeah, but it's not, not sure. clear if it's actually him yeah. or if that's well, whatever. But. They went for Enzo Fernandez, right? Yeah. They, they inquired about him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, more than that, even, yeah. Uh, so obviously you need to play, but again, Enzo Fernandez is a different profile from Moises Caicedo. Completely. So who are you signing? What are you trying to do? What What is your profile of midfielder? And, and there's going to be people who are saying, oh, well, but, you know, careful with Caicedo because, you know, we already have Conte and Jorginho and Gallagher. And like, guys, Conte's injured. Conte ain't walking through yeah. that door for a very, very long time, if ever, right? Jorginho's so out of contract in yeah. the season. Yeah. Plus, every time he plays, you're like, oh, he's too soft. You don't like him. We don't, you know. So you need bodies. Yeah, you need and you need bodies in that bodies. Part of, in area of the park. Yeah. 
Roma beat Fiorentina 2-0 as Paolo Dybala turns on the style. I mean, what performance he had. Gab, you were skeptical like me about his signing in the summer. I think like a lot of people, to be fair. And I am still skeptical about the length of his contract and the amount of money that they're paying him, but there's no question that... Uh, where would they be without him? Well, you know what? He's only started, I think, 11 games this season. So, you know, it, he was out. He missed yeah. a chunk of time to injury yeah. and, and stuff like that, which is one of the concerns that you have when, when, when you put all your eggs in the Dybala basket. But we saw the best Dybala. He linked up very well with, with Tammy Abraham, and it was an impressive win. Now, can Roma get into the top four, which is the age-old question when, you know, they still have Lazio ahead of him, they have Atalanta yeah. ahead of him. I think it's going to be a climb. I think, obviously, Mourinho's been hit by the injuries to Vinaldum and whatever. Um, but, by the way, another word on Mourinho, I'm talking about, Managers who like veteran players, but then kind of change and play kids. You know, he played kids. Zalewski's now uh, a reality. Balve is another guy who was on the pitch. So, you know, well done to Mourinho. Back to Newcastle. Joe Linton started against Fulham despite being charged with drunk driving. Eddie Howe said that he, quote, showed remorse. He wasn't sure about playing him, but he said he was sorry. Are you okay with that? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. Everybody can make a mistake. I think you're you're allowed a second second chance. I think if jo, we we were not there when Eddie Howe had the meeting with Joel Linton, say like you know what happens. I don't, I, you know, I don't know exactly. But if Joel Linton said, "Listen, I made a mistake. I won't do it again. I want I want to play right. and, and all of that." I think as a, as a manager and as a like kind of guardian of this squad, this dressing room, you have to believe him and trust him and. You know, Eddie Howe is a, is a good guy. He would not, you know, he, he has convictions as well. He would not play him if he didn't feel it was right. So, yeah, yeah I I'm think okay it, with it. It also comes down to, is it your employer's... So, first of all, he's, he's been charged for now. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. he's been found guilty, yeah, right? Yeah. We don't know what the exact context about whether he's his injured. We don't know if, he's, if he is going to be found guilty. There's a broader conversation of whether is it up to your employer to punish you or is it up to mm. the law to punish you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you show contrition, you're not necessarily bringing... You know, I, I, I can live with it. I don't know what decision yeah, yeah, I no, would have made had it been in Eddie Howe's shoes, yeah, but yeah. I can live with the decision he made. Yeah. Fans of Roma and Napoli have been banned for traveling to away games for two months following the clash that they had a week ago on that uh, motorway, um, uh, jun- whatever you call it in English, uh, junction or p- petrol station or services. Was it the right decision, Gab, to ban them for two months? Should it have been tougher? S- I mean, okay, I don't like it when people ban entire sets of fans rather than individuals. Yeah. Um, But I also think at some point, you know, and a lot of these individuals have been charged, but I think you have to make a statement. And this this, this, this sends a statement. This is absolute nonsense, right? They weren't even playing each other, but basically they kept tabs on each other. They were both traveling to to, to, to different different games. And so they agreed to meet up, you know, near the rest stop. Uh, and, and get into a fight. And they're all armed. Police were already there because they'd been tracking them. I, this is ridiculous. You want to have your fight club, Christ. you know, go and do it in a forest somewhere. Don't stop a motorway because of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, again, these guys won't travel. It's unfair to other fans of Roma and Napoli who might have enjoyed traveling to away games. But if this is what you have to do, you have to do. I mean, it's a good thing that we've come to the point where, this kind of stuff doesn't happen in and around stadiums. Yeah. So that, that that's the encouraging yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. At some point, these are adults. If people want to go and make an appointment out in the field, bring your own weapons and beat the crap out of each other, there's only so much that you can do. Mm-hmm. The Marseille bandwagon rolls on, Jules. It's yeah. now seven in a row after 3-1 win against Lorient. 
How about Igor Tudor? Yeah, the Tudor sedan delivering again. And they played so well, really, really well. Uh, they went one nil down as, against the run of play and on, set, on a set piece. But after that, they were brilliant. Alexis Sanchez was amazing again. Uh, scored. He'd been, been through a bit of a drought, but now he's on top form again after, I guess, the break from the, for the World Cup. But they played so well. And again, we talked about PSG's lack of direction and collective strength. Marseille have plenty of that. They know exactly how to play. They've got the wing backs. Colasina scored again. Great goal. I don't think any other clubs in Europe have, have scored more goals with defenders and, and full backs or wing backs, if you want, than Marseille. This is part of their game. They're so good at it. Well done to Tudo. I think a lot of people, and including the fans, were skeptical when he arrived and he and turned they, things around. Has he now. won them over? Yeah, completely. And they're in the title race. There's three points between. Uh, PSG and lost in second and four or five between PSG and Marseille with obviously still one classic to be played. So it's going to be very exciting and, you know, well done. Really well like, done today. They like their oddball eccentric managers in yeah. Marseille. Look, I mean, look at San Paoli, you know? But all the intensity that they have, PSG don't have. And I think right now this is the key and this is, this is what set them apart. Sebastian Allaire is back in training for Borussia Dortmund and more than that, even played and scored in a friendly. But the spotlight is on another striker, Gabi, Yusufa Mukoko, whose deal expired at the end of the season, of course. Sebastian the next season. At the end of next season, sorry, Sebastian Kiel uh, says he expects an answer from the Mukoko camp this week about an extension, of course. How important it is, do you think, to, um, to keep him? So he's 18 years old. Obviously, if he doesn't sign this contract, then they should sell him in the summer. Yeah. And we've said before, the logical thing, if I'm Mukoko, is I extend the contract, I get some, some security, I make sure that there's a release clause in there that you know allows me yeah, to move for a reasonable yeah. sum and also gets Borussia Dortmund some, uh, some money. Um, I think it is important because you don't know what con- condition Allaire is going to be in when, when he comes back. You know, Mukoko, I think he's what, like six goals in eight starts in the Bundesliga this season, mm. something like that. Went you to know, the World Cup. He went the, to the, the World squad, Cup. Yeah. He should he's productive. He's still just 18, although there are, you know, reports, yeah, there, yeah. There, there, there's reports in Austria. I trust the German FA on this. They've done a lot of studies to, to kind of clarify this. But, yeah. you know, whatever his age is, he's effective. Um, and he's the kind of player you want to keep. Hmm. Leandro Trossard's future remains in doubt at Brighton after his falling out with uh, De Zerbi. Jules, the club, say the door is open for return. His agent say, uh, says it might be best if he moved on. Yeah. He's a really, really good player. Yeah, De Zerbi made a big call, I think, in leaving out, although the kid who started, the, this, this Ferguson guy, yeah. wow, like, know, 18 really years old. Yeah, 18. I mean, different profile from yeah. Trossard, obviously, but... I, how do you see this? Who's he's, six, he's six months away from the end of his contract as well. So I think if you're if you're Trossard and his agent, you know you're going to leave in six months regardless. So maybe you want to move now because you know that you know you don't don't get on with the Zerbi who didn't like his attitude, didn't like his uh, productivity at training and, and in games, I guess, because he had his chance on the Zerbi. It's not like if the Zerbi arrived and straight throws him out. He played him and played him a lot. And and I don't know. I think. The Zerbi said that he's, he just made his decision and he's clear and everybody knew it and they did nothing wrong. The Trossard camp say it very differently. I just don't think, personally, there's a, there's a way back. I think Brighton should get a bit of money for him now and just let him go. The team is doing so well without right. him. You can maybe even reinvest that money or use someone like Undav that you haven't played much. Like all of that, I think, is... I think there, there's, a re, there's a solution there where everybody would be happy, in my opinion. But... 
you know, uh, it's, it's still always sad to see someone who's been good for that club. Yeah, yeah and who had such a relationship with the yeah, club and yeah, such a big part of their way. success. Yeah, for sure. Atalanta destroys Salernitana 8-2. Gab, I thought they were supposed to be more defensive. This is an eight different goal scorers, by the way. And tell me about Rasmus Orient. Yeah, let's see. Uh, big, tall, Scandinavian yeah. striker. Vanish. Name starts with an H. Ends in an uh, ND, yeah. you know. Uh, not as good as the other one, but uh, yeah, no, no, they're very excited about it. Uh, look, I think they still have a good scouting system. They've, they've spent the money that they've earned. It took a while to get together. Um, it was one of those games where like every shot went in. Yeah, once, you know, once you're 4-0 up against Lenitana, they said, we're not going to take our foot off the gas. Yeah. We're just going to keep going. So, well done them. I don't see them making top four, but they're right up there with Lazio. Mm. They're, not, they're not far off. No, I think, definitely not. You know, it would be quite a second half of the season if, if they managed to, to, to achieve yeah. that again. The Parc de Prince is my favorite oh, stadium in Paris, Jules. I love also that. Also because you. the Stade de France is not in That's Paris, true. technically. And I still need to get to the... I hear good things about the uh, Red Star Stadium, that it's very historic. Oh, yeah, and it's, blah, blah, blah. it's not nice, but it's very yeah, historical, but it's, it's falling apart. Uh so why would PSG be leaving the Parc de France? You're in the wealthiest or only small yeah. in Paris. Yeah. You got, you're convenient to the peripherique. Yeah, uh, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. But they, f- but they feel like they have to leave because they're trying to buy the stadium off the, 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 the city, of the mayor. Uh, uh, so they can make refurbishment, they can extend it further from 47,000 to 57,000. They said that they need 500, uh, 500 million euros of, of work to be done on it. But they said, but we, we won't spend that money if the stadium is not ours, which in a way makes sense. They, they said, right, just signed a long lease with the... Well, they're already on a lease for another 30 years, I think, or something like that. But they said that, you know, that's not, that's not enough. They want to own it. If you own it, you can maybe redevelop it in a different way than if it's still owned by the city, I guess. But the city have said, and Anne Hidalgo, the mayor, said on Sunday, like... Our position is definitely not for sale. So PSG is saying, well, we have to go then. We have to leave. And they are looking at other options where they could go. You said they have another 30 years? I think so. Maybe a bit less than that, maybe on that lease. Okay, so they're going to leave at some faraway point in the future, right? Well, they can leave. Well, I mean, no, I think they can find... If they have a lease, they have to keep paying, no? Yeah, although I think maybe it's not as long then. I don't don't know. I think they're very unhappy. The mayor and the the city are saying, listen, we've had negotiation about you buying it, but the offer that PSG made was far too low for what the the city would want. And now the city is saying, and by the way, the Paris de Prince belongs to Paris and to the Parisians, not to the football club. So I don't know where this is going. I think this is each other putting pressure on the other and stuff like that. I don't see PSG not playing at the Paris de Prince. As a PSG fan, do you yeah. want them to move to the Stade de France Definitely to build not. their own stadium Definitely outside? Because it's not like it's not like in Paris. There's all this open space to build. Definitely stadiums, not right? either. They could go to Saint Cloud, for example, which is very close to where the part to Port de Tay, but it would not be the same. So I think a lot of fans would want to stay, but not not at any cost either. You know, I think could they move to Lucille Stadium in the city of the future and commute? Imagine, imagine, right. pretty cool. Yeah. Huh? Great idea. I mentioned that idea to them if you want. <laughs> FIFA introduced new regulation keeping agent commissions from October 1st. But Gab, the agents are fighting back. Yeah, so obviously this is all part of the FIFA Reform Committee and the clarity. And if you want to, if you want to get really granular on this, we did a, we did a, a Gab and Jules Meets podcast with Giovanni Branchini, the yeah. agent, who explained the agent's position, I think, very, very um, clearly. 
They don't just cap the regulations, uh, just, they just cap the commissions. And, and by the way, again, for people who still don't get this, when we talk about, especially if you're in the U.S., we're talking about agents. A lot of the money that these agents move isn't from representing the player where, you know, they negotiate the contract for the player and the player yeah. pays them a percentage, which is how agents are normally understood. Uh, they generally get paid by the clubs, um, which you could argue is a conflict of interest. And let's face it, it mm, probably yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they get paid by the buying club and the selling club and the player as well. Um, these are all things that they want to stamp out. The agents feel that there hasn't been enough consultation on it. Um, some of them feel that just the principle of capping commissions is wrong. I Personally, I don't see the need to cap commissions. I just want transparency. I want to get yeah. paid. You can pay. I was this all along. I don't care if you get paid $50 million to, 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 to move Aaron Juan Bissaka to Everton for, you know, I, I don't care on a yeah, free yeah, transfer. No, I really don't care. Point. But I want somebody writing down on a piece of paper, Jules was paid $50 million, yeah. And then that way people people can hold clubs to account and hold people to, to account. Yeah, no, um, until we have the transparency, these problems aren't going to go yeah. away. Yeah. Monaco destroyed Ajaxio 7-1 to rise to fifth in Ligue 1. Jules, they've blown hot and cold this season. Yeah, they've yeah. lost some players already, but this was impressive. Really impressive. And a hat-trick for Wissam Ben Yedder, who is 31 now and has been playing, not playing on the bench. Some starting, Underappreciated, I think, in the wider Maybe. I, one, an amazing striker. He scored the hat-trick in 13 minutes, which is not the quickest he had because at the end of last season... I think in May, it was in 20, May 2022, he scored one in 10 minutes in Ligue 1 again. Uh, I remember you chose him to play up front in Battle of the Leagues, if you He's recall. amazing at FIFA, uh, on the video <laughs> game, if you play FIFA, by the way. Well done to him, and he's obviously Paris born and bred, so even more special from Winston Benidea. Very good from Monaco, and, but like you said, Gabby, now they need to follow this up by consistency at that kind of level with those kind of wins. They've been a bit up and down so far this season. That's why they're only, they're only fifth and still trying to find an identity there with, uh, with, with uh, Philippe Clement. Steven Gerrard continues to be linked with the pollen job. Why? And he's expected to make a decision this week. Gab, is this a good idea? Like, uh, am I weird for thinking it's not a good idea? Uh, you mean for, for Gerrard or for Poland? I mean, maybe both. Like, I, I heard reports he's been offered the job and you say yes yeah. or no. Um, I think it's a gamble for 101 different reasons. Whenever you, we've always said this, right? When you have a guy who, as a player, only ever experienced one club, you know that's not an ideal situation. His only his managerial experience, obviously, was at was at Rangers, a little bit in Liverpool's um, youth setup, um, and at Aston Villa. I think it would make Jared a better manager because it would allow him to experience a very different reality. Maybe it, he's more does suited. That make, at that age and with the little experience that he had is a national team that you see once every month for 10 days. But I think it would you force better? you, it would force you to travel to, to keep track of all the Polish players around Europe. It would force you, it, it would, it would be a challenge. It would be like, I'm putting myself in George's thing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, You've no, got no, all I, the money that you'll yeah, ever need, right? Yeah, 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 true. You are seen as having been ineffective at, uh, at Aston Villa, right? Yeah. So this, your next job... Season, not so much last season, but yeah, yeah, this season. Your next job isn't going to be at a club. It's not going to be a more prestigious job than Aston Villa, right? We agree with that? Your next job in the Premier League, if you don't take this job, yeah. if you don't go anywhere else, your next job will be at a club that is Aston Villa level or or lower, right? Yeah. Most likely lower, yeah, yeah. right? Could you go back to Rangers where you did well? Well, maybe at some point, as if that's what you want to do. Presumably it's not what you want to do because you left Rangers. Yeah. Money doesn't come into it. 
So maybe it is about experience. And maybe this is the experience for you. Maybe it is, you know, if you go manage in another league, it's daily, it's week, you know, it's, it's, it's week on week. It's, it's an intense thing. Something like this could be dipping your toe into a foreign experience. Maybe it makes you better. You, maybe it's a, you see it as a growth. Yeah, if he's talked maybe. to them until now, it's because he's seriously considering it, right? Yeah, yeah. So sure. I would always urge somebody to challenge themselves sure. and do that. Now, if I were Bonyek or another Poland yeah. fan, I would say, whoa, hang on a minute here. This is my national team. We have the Euros in Germany next summer. We have Robert Lewandowski. Yeah. Uh, not long, let's not, not mess around with not this. Not for much longer. Let's not be again. Lewandowski, there's a point where hey, he, will, you know, he will retire from international football. Yeah, so. But we're going to stick around for the Euros, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll make the most of him. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah. Exactly. Sevilla lose at Girona and are in the relegation zone, Jules. Oh. This is really bad for our boy, Jorge Sampaoli. Yeah, is that still he, the one win? Yeah, and we said, didn't we, when he was appointed, mm, is that a good idea? Is he really the right guy coming back to a club where he's been before, of course, already? I mean, they took the lead as well in that game on set piece and, you know, Tongi Kwasi and Jansu scoring. But after that, they're so sloppy. They make mistakes all around the pitch. It's just like some of the basic stuff that you watch them play and you think like, really? But like, how can you make mistakes like that? I mean, even from a, from a Sampaoli point of view, there's a lot of things that you struggle to understand. And, and it's just, it's just one of That's kind of been the, the story of Sampa's career, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Many things you struggle to understand. Yeah, completely. Some of them work and are brilliant. Others, yeah. yeah. But apart from having 10 good minutes there, 15, sometimes not even that, there's just not much in it. And I don't know what you do now if you're Sevilla. Do you like... Really keep faith in it when it's clearly not working. Now we've had, I think the sample was maybe smaller at the beginning. Now it's a bigger sample since he arrived. And I think I you mean, see where you are at the end of the window. You give it February, and then you know they they are in the relegation zone. But I don't. I mean, I, I it's not like they're down, right? And then if you have to call some emergency, you know, Spanish Sam Allardyce to keep you up. That's what you do. Yeah, maybe. The Financial Times report that Qatar Sports Investment have taken a minority stake in Braga, who have taken a minority stake in Braga, we know that 22%, a few weeks ago, are now looking at Premier League clubs as well. Gabby, how significant this is or could this be? So one of the things that they say is to avoid, before people get excited, like, oh, look, they're going to come here and it's going to be like Man City, by going to rebuild Paris. Yeah. Um, they also make the point in the story that they're doing this because... You know, they have a portfolio. They, they, they do this to have leverage and clout inside, but they're very cognizant of the fact that if they buy a club in the Premier League, it's going to present a problem with Paris Saint-Germain. Now, obviously, yeah. Paris Saint-Germain, there's suggestions that it could be sold, the valuation of, I think he valued it at $4 billion, which I think is absurd that mm. Paris Saint-Germain, who don't play in the Premier League and don't have the Premier League contract, yeah. should be, you know, it should be what, a billion more than, than Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I, to me, and I could be reading this completely wrong, my reading here is that a lot of the people who spent money on behalf of Qatar for sport with a view towards the World Cup, possibly the Olympics and whatever, they're like, okay, now the World Cup's come and gone. How do we stay relevant? So let's find these investment opportunities. I don't see how having a minority stake in this club or that yeah. club is actually significant. You're not going to turn this into some kind of sports fund that people, no. that real people invest in, right? Um, ultimately, Behind it is the Qatar Investment Authority, which is which is a sovereign wealth fund. And yeah. As I've often said about sovereign wealth funds, and yeah, this applies to 
Manchester City, it applies to Paris Saint-Germain, it applies to Newcastle. My rejection of them is that it's not your money. It's the money that belongs to the people of that country. Yeah. And if this were such an obviously good high-stakes investment, we would see you know, other sovereign wealth funds do that. Norway, for example, yeah. I think they're the biggest or second biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world, right? Why don't they buy football clubs, right? Yeah, All those Norwegian Manchester United fans. Yeah. Hey, you guys, you got so much money. Why don't you go and buy Manchester United and 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 go and run it as a Norway? Yeah, you know yeah. why they don't? Because it doesn't it's make not sense. a business. Yeah, exactly. Not a business. Exactly. Kevin Spacey goes on trial in June in London, facing a total of twelve charges for sexual offenses against four men. And yet, he was a guest of Torino for their game against Spezia this weekend. In fact, the club's social media account even tweeted a picture of him with the club president, Urbano Cairo, that read, Kevin Spacey in the house, as if it was like 1980. Uh, Jules, you're innocent until proven guilty, but this is somewhat tone deaf. I'm flabbergasted, I have to say. I, I don't even want to say the guy's name. Uh, maybe, maybe in Torino. I mean, in Turin, they don't have they, the, the news didn't reach to them that the guy was surely not welcome. That it's not a good idea to uh, just you know like show yourself I, with him to invite to in, invite him as a guest. I mean, like I, I just don't understand why. I mean, apart from the PR disaster that this is, anyway. Yeah. Hey, look. I mean, the, the number of people accusing him is well into the double figures. And look, maybe they're all wrong or mistaken, yeah, and maybe yeah. he'll be fully cleared. But when you have somebody who right now is perceived a certain way, exactly. why would you want to associate your name and your brand with that person? Him. Why don't they invite Prince Andrew next? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, if they want to go down that road. I mean, I, it's so odd to me. It is. The Times report that broadcasters were given strict instructions during the World Cup not to show images of FIFA president Gianni Infantino on his phone. Dream games. I mean, Gab, this is a bit too much micromanaging right? so this was the uh, this was the host broadcasters that, that films the pictures for everybody yeah. so they were told that they need to film him at every game because you know he went to every single yeah, game, every single game uh, so to show that he's there and he's present yeah. but they mustn't show any pictures of him on, on, on his phone uh, one he, some picture of him on the phone went out in one game and the person was reprimanded for it I'll say this right the man is the FIFA president I want him to do his job as FIFA president. Yes. I don't care if he's watching the game or if he's on his phone on FIFA business. Frankly, yeah. I personally don't even care if he's there or not. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I can see how he would want to be there to show that he's yeah, there. Yeah, of course, fair enough. Uh, I, to me, this is because there's a lot of Muppets out there who, you know, one picture of him on his phone becomes, oh, look, it's all about business. He doesn't care about the game. He's not watching, you know, Portugal, Korea, or whatever. Yeah. And, mate, what is this nonsense? We should be grown up enough. I want him to be on the phone if he's got work to do and he's got stuff to do. I don't want him just sitting there staring. Yeah, I agree. I, it's, it's a weird one, but, yeah, it is micromanaging, but to be fair... That's what Johnny Fantino does. He micromanages a lot of things. That's true. Uh, right, Jules, that brings us to an end. Oh, man. We got to come back on Thursday. I'm going to be back on Thursday. You're going to go watch some NBA hoops. Is that yes, right? In Paris, indeed. So there you next go. Monday. There yeah. you go. Enjoy that. Uh, I'll be back on Thursday. We'll be talking Italian Super Cup and, of course, United and Palace. Until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Love yourself.